Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues. And I have conversations with foreign policy thought leaders who discuss their life, career, and the big events that shape their worldview. So over the last six weeks or so, I've received a series of increasingly urgent-sounding press releases from various humanitarian organizations operating in the far northeastern region of Nigeria called Borno State. Uh, In July, for example, I received this from MSF in all caps, saying, Nigeria, catastrophic malnutrition in Borno State, uh, going on to say that there are some 500,000 people living in, quote, catastrophic conditions. Uh, Also in July, I I received a release from UNICEF saying that a quarter million children in that state face, quote, severe malnutrition and risk death. And then in August from Mercy Corps, I get an email saying an estimated 7 million people are in need of life-saving aid in that region including an estimated 2.5 million people who are currently malnourished and lack access to food and safe drinking water. Now, I follow these issues pretty closely, so I knew there was a crisis in that region, but I was not aware of the scale of it. And frankly, it is not something that gets a lot of attention in the Western media. In fact, I like to think of this as the worst crisis in the world that gets the least amount of attention. Now, this crisis has been festering for several years as the Boko Haram insurgency gripped the region. But over the last year, Boko Haram has been on the retreat, and actually much of that Borno state and the surrounding Lake Chad region has been liberated from Boko Haram. Uh, So I want to know why now this crisis is seemingly coming to light. On the line with me to answer that very question, offer a ground's eye perspective on this humanitarian crisis, and describe what can be done to mitigate it is Adrian Ouvry, a humanitarian advisor with Mercy Corps. He recently returned from the region and explains why the reported levels of malnutrition in the region may just be the tip of the iceberg. Uh, so this was a helpful conversation, and I'm frankly glad to do my part to shine a light on this underreported, undercovered crisis. Uh, but before we get there, I think you know what's coming. We are still in a fundraising drive. And first, I want to profoundly, profoundly thank those of you who have made a contribution to the podcast. I so, so appreciate it. But uh, I need more help. Frankly, I need more help from you in order to keep putting out this podcast. I literally cannot do this without your support. I I cannot keep going uh, without your support at the pace in which uh, I'm going. So I I don't want to slow down, uh, but I may have to, uh, unless you, uh, if you're able to, make a contribution to the podcast. Uh, You can go to globaldispatchespodcast.com. Uh, where you can click on the support the podcast button. If you're listening to this on your iPhone using a podcast app, you can simply uh, click on the link in the app and that'll take you to the contribution page. And as I've said before, I'm asking for monthly recurring contributions because this most easily helps me plot the finances and the amount of resources that I'm able to devote into the podcast on a monthly basis. And the consistency of your contribution helps me more consistently put out this podcast. So again, thank you. Thank you so much for your support. I truly appreciate it. 
I literally cannot do this without you. So thank you. Okay, now here is Adrian Ouvry of Mercy Corps. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. We're coming into the third year of, of, of a severe humanitarian crisis in, in the Lake Chad Basin region. And, and Northeast Nigeria is very much the epicenter of the, of the crisis and of the scale of suffering. So we have, uh, we have many millions of people, at least 5 million, um, who are severely food insecure and affected by, um, by the, the fighting that's been result, the result of Boko Haram um, attacking and taking over parts of the, of the region and the counterattacks by the Nigerian army and other armies from the region. Um, and so, as usual, it's, it's civilians who are caught up in the, in, in, in the crossfire and who are suffering um, immensely. Um, and, you know, not to list everything that's, you know, that's bad about the situation, but, you know, start, starting from the top, um, there's huge levels of, of food insecurity and, and malnutrition. So I think at the last, the last count, we're talking of, of, of up to sort of quarter of a million children who are severely malnourished um, and, and, and four and a half million at least who need food aid right now. And in terms of displacement, um, it's well over 2 million in Borno state alone. So let alone additional states and additional countries in the region. So Niger and Cameroon. And yeah. How is this malnutrition, this food insecurity manifesting itself uh, on the ground? I mean, are groups like Mercy Corps just struggling to keep up with masses of numbers of, of basically starving children? Yeah, so it's not it's not a widespread famine as far as we're aware yet, but there are many areas where humanitarian agencies such as ourselves haven't yet been able to access. So in the areas where we are able to access, um, there are pockets of extreme malnutrition, um, so way over the emergency level, um, and, and, and situations that, that need agencies like uh, MSF and the Red Cross to come in and immediately start setting up therapeutic feeding centers and so forth to save to re- really to save lives. Um, and that, that's the sort of the, 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 the peak of the, you know, the extremity of the crisis. But, but everybody, um, not just children, but everybody is suffering from, from, from food insecurity in the area. So people are, are hungry. And when you ask them, well, what's the most important thing? What, what can we do for you? What's, what's your priority need? Even if they don't have shelter, even if they you know, don't have means of, of, of livelihood, even if they're short of water and somewhere to, somewhere to uh, stay safe. Everybody says their priority is food without, without a single exception of all the many, many displaced people we've interviewed. So that's, that's, that's what the situation looks like. Uh, so, so much of this region has been liberated from Boko Haram, at least for the last year. Um, why is it that still a, a year on, there is such alarming levels of food insecurity? And, and you know, it's worth pointing out that Nigeria um, is... Uh, you know, a, a large populous country, but also one with like a semi-functioning, you know, government system that, uh, at least compared to a lot of other countries in the region, that one might expect uh, would be able to provide a modicum of of relief for you know suffering children in in its borders. 
Sure. No, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. I think, I mean, f- first of all, it's important to note that the, the, the war, the conflict, um, is absolutely not over. And there are still, even, even right now, um, large parts of, of, of Borno State, um, and, and even, even in Yobe, the neighboring state, uh, where access is, isn't possible. Even, even, for the, even for the military, they're not able to access it safely and securely. Because Boko um, Haram is, is still waging an insurgency in that area. That's right. It's it's still not been secured. I mean, most of the it, most, if not all, of the major towns are, are now in government hands, in the hands of the Nigerian military. But there are large areas of thinly populated rural um, parts of the state where where the military either hasn't been able to go at all, or where it hasn't been able to hold ground um, against the against the militants. Um, and so, for that reason, um, it, if it's dangerous for the for the Nigerian military to be there, you know, let alone humanitarian agencies. Um, and so that insecurity is preventing access um, still to quite quite large parts of, of Borno State, um, and I think it's, it's it's sort of estimated that you know up to up to three quarters of a million people may be suffering uh, and in need in areas that nobody nobody's been able to access yet. Um, so it's very much an ongoing crisis. It's not that oh it's all over now and it's a question of being quick about getting in with the assistance. No, it's it's not yet over. Um, uh, but what, what, what is fair to say is that the areas which are now accessible, uh, where agencies um, are now able to access, um, a lot more needs to be done um, in terms of scale of assistance um, and in terms of the speed uh, of, getting, of getting help to people. Um, and it is, it is fair to say that, you know, you, you might well have high, higher expectations of, of the Nigerian government because, as you say, it is you know, relatively well resourced. It is a functioning state. It's not a failed state. Um, and so expectations might might have been higher about what it what it can and should be doing, or what it should have been doing, you know, a year or two ago even. Um, but to, to be fair to to be fair to the Nigerian government, it is it is a huge scale crisis, and I think you know the scale of displacement um, and the scale of, of violence that's been inflicted on the region um, would have overwhelmed uh, you know for at least a while any any government, even one that was better resourced and better organised and administratively more competent. So I think uh, I think you know it is it is worth conceding that. And also, uh, it is it is also good to say that I think uh, now that the Nigerian government is starting to, to to really wake up and be more proactive about the responsibilities it has to to support its own citizens in these areas, um, and it is coming forward with you know concrete plans um, and concrete sort of uh, ways of, of safely accessing the areas that have been freed from from Boko Haram. Uh, but it's fair to say that up until very recently, that probably wasn't the case in re- in regards to the Nigerian government's response. Yeah, no, it's 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 uh, it's been it's been a situation where there's had to be a lot of advocacy um, towards the international system, but also, yeah, as you say, to the Nigerian government that it that it that it needs to move faster and that it could be doing more, um, and that despite the challenges presented by you know the high levels of insecurity, um, it, it that that that's not an excuse to, for us to be sitting on the sidelines and saying that this isn't a crisis we can we, we we can handle. They should have been calling for help more. And they should have been more, doing more earlier. So, you know, this crisis has been ongoing uh, for for three years. You said earlier. Why is it that it's really been this summer uh, that I've been starting to see really, you know, more and more alarming press releases from humanitarian agencies such as your own, such as Mercy Corps, but also MSF and, and UNICEF as well, have been you know filling my inbox starting about mid July with increasingly. Um, urgent press releases uh, about the uh, deteriorating humanitarian situation, uh, raising even the prospect of a possible famine if, if nothing uh, is, is done. Why is this all of a sudden becoming so acute? Well, I think it's, it's, it's not that the emergency itself is, is, is suddenly getting worse, um, but it's more to do with the accessibility to areas of suffering. 
so up until fairly recently, um, when, when, when humanitarian agencies weren't able to, to, to get to a lot of these places that had been under the control of Boko Haram, people had been assuming that there was a crisis and assuming that there was uh, huge levels of, 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 of suffering and potentially famine in these areas, but without being able to confirm it. And it's only been um, from about spring this year onwards um, that agencies have started to be able to uh, safely access places and, 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 and come face to face with the populations there who have been trapped um, and un- unable to move um, for the last two, two to three years. And so it's really uh, the fact that agencies are now in these areas and are now able to report back, hey, this is what we've seen. And it's a crisis situation um, that the uh, that agencies like MSF, as you say, um, like UNICEF uh, and, and, and some journalists have been able to sort of report directly on what the situation is. So it's, it's almost like um, the crisis has been, been ongoing and it's only now we're starting to peel back the cover, peel back the blanket and, and see what's going on. And I think, you know, the, alarm, the reports, alarming as they are, um, still, still, aren't, still aren't the half of it. I think, as I said at the beginning, there's, 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 a, there's a many hundreds of thousands of people who are in areas that still haven't been accessed. So it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to get worse in terms of the, 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 the scale of suffering, at least that, that we can report on and we can see. Yeah. Um, and, and what has the international response been so far? I mean, this, at least to me, seems like one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world that receives the least amount of attention. And one unfortunate feature about our international humanitarian system is that it sort of operates as, as a charity uh, in which um, – you know, agencies like your own, like UN agencies have to raise funds to, to, to provide services in these areas and areas that are off the radar uh, are often harder to fundraise uh, around. So uh, have you experienced or have you witnessed uh, this kind of like funding challenge, uh, uh, perhaps undermining your, your efforts to adequately deliver aid? Um, for sure, absolutely, and I think the situation right now is is, is starting to get better. The donors are starting to uh, put forward a lot more resources, um, and and we're now able to start programming in parts of parts of the northeast that we weren't previously able to access um, because of because of lack of funds. So I think uh, up until recently, however, um, it, it was very very difficult to 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 get attention on northeast Nigeria, um, and 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 also correspondingly to get uh, to get money from donors to be able to uh, start programming there. So, and I think, you know, as you, as you, as you, as you, as you probably know very well, that's partly to do with the fact that, you know, the Nigerian government, it's a proud sovereign uh, government and it's perceived as being wealthy because of oil and and, and other natural resources. Um, And it's also not called attention itself or asked for help in dealing with the crisis in the Northeast. And so for that reason, it's been quite hard um, for donors to, you know, themselves proactively put forward resources and do advocacy um, to enable organizations, uh, humanitarian organizations to respond. Um, so it's only fairly recently that that started to change. Well, and I have to uh, imagine too that, you know, this newest humanitarian crisis is just on top of a list of a number of other crises that are already ongoing and also like a huge drain and, and suck on the resources of the international humanitarian system, like Syria and Iraq and, and Afghanistan and South Sudan and Central Africa. Uh, you know, those, um, crises, um, seem at least to suck up most oxygen, most, of, of the resources. And I have to imagine that it's sort of like hard to introduce yet another crisis into this system. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, Syria above all, um, but also South Sudan and, and Yemen and, Ver- and, and, and the drought in the Horn, Horn of Africa and Southern Africa have all been calling on, 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 on international commun- humanitarian community resources to a great extent. And so exactly there is, there is I think, especially, uh, you know, up until fairly recently, a huge fatigue and a, f- a huge inability for, 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 for agencies and even, even large donors to imagine um, allocating additional budgets to, you know, yet another crisis. Uh, how um, does that fatigue um, manifest itself inside your organization, in, inside Mercy Corps? I mean, it's something I hear from a lot of humanitarians that there's just, you know, uh, much more um, need than there are resources uh, available to meet those needs. How, I mean, how is your organization sort of managing um, in those those um, challenges? So, so yes, it's, it's in some cases it's a case of, of, of triage. Now, so Mercy Corps, we, we're a large agency, but we're not that large. We can't be everywhere, um, so we have to be selective about which which crises we we, we decide to respond to, uh, and where we focus our energy and attention, and, and, and where we focus our advocacy for, for for additional resources from 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 donors. And I think Northeast Nigeria um, has been sort of growing on 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 our radars as, a, as an important place to be responding at scale since uh, the end of 2014. Um, so it's been since about the end of that time um, that we've been trying uh, to scale up and trying to get more attention um, directed towards Nigeria. Um, and we, along with a relatively few number of other agencies, um, have been beating the drum um, and saying that it, is, it should be you know, considered one of the top, top three humanitarian crises um, in the world, uh, which isn't getting enough attention for, for, for some time now. Um, and so you know, that's why we're, we're very happy to see that you know, finally it is it is, uh, you know, getting up the agenda of, of concern, both in terms of international media, uh, but also, you know, resources being allocated. Um, for people who are unfamiliar with how humanitarian relief operations work, can you walk me through um, what your operations in Nigeria are today? Uh, what, what they look like on the ground in, in the affected region? Sure. So, um, so we we've been we've been operating since since 2014, um, just outside the just outside of Borno in a neighbouring state called Gombe, as well as Adamawa, and our program there has been 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 working with uh, displaced people to provide them with uh, food through electronic food vouchers, as well as cash for them to use um, on starting up livelihoods or um, you know for covering medical needs and non-food item needs that they might have, um, and also some water and sanitation support. Um, and, and basic protection. So that's 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 what our program has been um, been been uh, up until recently. And now uh, we've been able to access Southern Borno um, and conduct assessments and start up programming of a similar kind, but dealing with uh, dealing with populations that are uh, more recently accessed um, in the, in the southern part of Borno around a town called Bew in particular. So people who are more recently displaced, people who are more recently displaced and haven't been accessed by other agencies uh, up until very recently. And, and so what, needs, what stories yeah. are they telling of, of, of their displacement? Uh, you know, I assume you've, you've, you've been there, you've, you've uh, been in situations similar to this. Of like what, what are the people who are recently displaced, like telling you about um, their experiences? Well, the, the, the experiences of the majority have been, been absolutely awful. Many of them, many of them are, are, are very candid about you know, describing their experiences of having their villages burned down, being chased away, um, of, being, uh, of, being having to, of having to run away with just the clothes on their backs um, and not being able to return either because Boko Haram have been in the places where they've just come from um, or because they're afraid that they might return or because they're afraid that their fields uh, and their villages might be contaminated with uh, landmines or other 
uh, or other dangerous items that, that, that uh, Boko Haram have left behind. In some cases, they're also telling us that they've had to flee preemptively on the instructions of the Nigerian uh, military forces because they've been told, well, this area you know, is dangerous or this area needs to be cleared uh, of, 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 of Boko Haram. And so we, we need you out of the area so that we can have um, uh, access to this area and conduct military operations. Um, and most people we, we, we talk to, uh, and of course it varies a lot you know, from, 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 from place to place, but most people we talk to in the area of South Borna where we're working say that even though theoretically there are some places they could be returning to, um, because uh, they're, they're being told by the Nigerian military that it's safe to return, they still themselves don't want to return back, either because their experiences were so awful and so traumatic that they don't feel safe about returning, um, or because they still hear um, enough stories about you know, ongoing clashes and ongoing presence of Boko Haram in, in rural areas that they just don't feel confident about going back yet. So I have to imagine then that this displacement crisis that's been gone going for, for three years will likely last many years to go. Absolutely. Yeah, no, it's, 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 it's not going to wrap itself up. And even, even when the, 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 the fighting such as it is, uh, comes to an end with Boko Haram and all the territory, um, is, is, is quote unquote cleared, then, uh, I think we're, we're still going to have, uh, many hundreds of thousands of people who either won't want to return or won't be able to return. Um, or even who, who, who have started to set themselves up with, with, with some kind of life, however much, uh, have a threadbare and hard scrabble it may be but to set themselves up with some kind of a life in the places where they've moved to, um, whether that be the, the towns in northeast Nigeria or, or further afield. So so if present trends continue, you, you said uh, earlier that things are getting somewhat marginally better, um, although the, the there is still this sort of unknown need in places still under Boko Haram control. Like, How do you see uh, the situation evolving over the next few months uh, in northeast Nigeria? Well, Hopefully, um, as long as um, I mean, the, the, what, what we have now is, is, is a situation where the, the, the government itself is now putting forward concrete plans for how it is going to um, support the Northeast to, to recover from, from the conflict. Um, more resources are being put in place by, by, by the government and donors are coming forward as well uh, with, more, with more concrete commitments to support um, agencies to start doing both humanitarian work, but also reconstruction work. So if that trend continues, um, I think there's reasonable hope that um, that the situation will start to improve over the medium term. In the short term, I think it's still going to be be very difficult um, in the sense that we're only recently, as as I was saying, only recently able to access many of these areas and basic humanitarian needs must be met before we can even start to think of, of, of meaningful reconstruction or or recovery work. And and is the funding funding there for that in the short term? It's it's starting to be. I, I, I wouldn't want to say that. Oh, we've suddenly you know, agencies have now got enough money and everything's fine. Not at all. Um, however, it, there are significantly more resources available now than there were this time last year. Um, and so, at least for humanitarian response, um, although there could always be always more, would be welcome. I think uh, we're starting to see enough resources being 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 applied to the situation for us to start responding at the scale we need to. Uh, all right. Well, Adrian, thank you so much for your time and for your work. Not at all. Thanks for thanks for thanks for speaking to me. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Adrian and the folks at Mercy Corps for frankly doing what they are doing in service of humanity. Um, as I mentioned at the outset, a huge, huge, huge thank you to those of you who have contributed to the podcast. Literally, I, I cannot do this without you. I, I need more of you out there to 
demonstrate your support to the podcast. I want to be able to keep doing this. I, I love doing this. And uh, I know from hearing from you that the podcast is an important part of your routine, of your day, of your commute. If that's the case, uh, then please do consider. Don't just consider. Please make a contribution to the podcast. I so, so appreciate it. All right. See you next time. Bye.